0: in the morning
1: welcome to another episode of director showcase i'm b movie paul and i'm phantom dark dave this week we are wrapping up todd browning month with a review of the cult classic horror film freaks from 1932 so let's get right into it the description of this movie from imdb says a circus circus's beautiful trapeze artist agrees to marry the leader of sideshow performers but his deformed friends discover she's only marrying him for his inheritance. So Dave, what did you think of Todd Browning's freaks?
0: Can a full-grown woman truly love a midget in this movie? Hell no
1: <laughs> Yeah unfortunately which is a shame because I, I like Tons, I thought he was a good
0: guy. Oh he's such a cool dude. you know it, it's so funny because there's such a big controversial factor over this film. But also, whether it is truly a horror film. Everywhere you look, it's a drama or a horror. So we just call it a dramatic horror film. you, you cool with that?
1: Pretty much. It sounds about right. Because yeah, it's not, and, most of it's not really horror. It's basically more of a suspenseful drama.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if we, if we sit there and we think about all the movies we've been watching and researching with Todd Browning, every single one of his movies is so, like, overly dramatic. You know, like if it wasn't for just a few of the elements in the movie, he would not be a horror director, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. He knew how to like combine genres and you had to basically add different twists to a film that would make it just that much more suspenseful and entertaining.
0: Yeah. And I'm a big fan of how he ends his movies. I think more times than not, after I see it, I'm like, that's a Todd Browning ending. (laughs)
1: Yeah, everything's normally pretty wrapped up Like it'll be wrapped up in an unusual way But it's normally a pretty satisfying ending
0: You know, I, I don't know if they do this or not But I would be so interested in like Some sort of Todd Browning motion picture You know, like the life of Todd Browning not, not like an A&E biography Even though that would be okay too But like, you know, like they did like Ed Wood And they made a full movie about the life of, you know, and everything I just, oh man
1: That would be cool. He's definitely an interesting character.
0: Well, yeah, because, you know, the thing that works so much with this movie is the fact that Todd Browning, he he had firsthand experience, you know, with the carny life. Because when he ran away from home, he joined the circuits and was around some of these folks, you know. So just, oh, man, being able to see something like that, like a a recreation of that, I think would just be awesome.
1: Definitely. I'd like to hear more of his story, or at least, like, I think seeing it played out in front of in front of an audience would be a really interesting experience
0: yeah because you know they not too long ago they did the hitchcock movie where anthony hopkins played alfred hitchcock and it was all about the controversy of the psycho film how cool would it be if they did the same thing but with the controversy of freaks
1: there you go i'd like to see that it would have a sad ending though i just kind of ended after that
0: (laughs) uh And you know there was still a couple of good movies after that, but you're right. And and here's the reason why: I truly, you know, one Todd Browning was way ahead of his time. People were not ready for Todd Browning, but I think what happened was it just Dracula was so successful; they expected another type of movie like Dracula, and here he comes out with Freaks. I mean, it's called Freaks. You know, how could you not expect something crazy and quote unquote freaky, right? But Ah, uh, it, it's sad, man, to think that this fantastic movie... So, yeah, what do I think? Fantastic. Fantastic movie was a nail in the coffin for him.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I like the fact that this movie largely was, like, kind of a slice-of-life life film, and it takes place in an unusual setting with the traveling circus and seeing the sideshow performers. And I really like how it, it humanized the characters. It made them it kind of showed them just, like, living their lives like normal people. And at the time, and even now, it doesn't really happen that much. Like, a lot of them are still laughed at and things like that. So I thought this movie did a really good job of creating characters that you really cared about and liked. And I think the fact that they were all sideshow performers really made you sympathize with them and really made you kind of care about them. Not not so much care about them a little bit more, but kind of understand that there was something that they were going through and have to face that most of us really don't at least to that extent
0: yeah that's well said too because one thing i was thinking about is when i'm watching this movie i'm like wow what some great characters but it's like but they're not characters i mean this is who they are and it really just puts you like puts things in perspective and it's kind of like typical and i hate to make the wrong reference on this but just As we're talking, I'm kind of spitballing it. You know, you think of characteristics like the whole, you know, beauty and the beast and things like that. Like in this movie, so many people judge a book by its cover. Right. And some of these people have a bigger heart than than even I could ever have. You know, some of the most wonderful folks in this movie. And I was doing some research on some of the the, um, actors and actresses. And, you know, some of them even kept the same name. I mean, it was literally just verbatim right there.
1: Oh yeah, most definitely, and I think the ending of this film, like, spoilers for whoever hasn't seen this, but in order to save Hans, the sideshow performers all kind of get together, and they take down the um, the trapeze artist, they um, turn her into, like, a chicken person or something like that. It was real bizarre, but um, it showed that they were all really loyal to each other, and they all genuinely cared about each other, so not only did it show them as you know, human, it showed that there was a quality to them that was also noble and respectable. And I think that was a very good way of tying things together and kind of like solidifying like what the film was
0: trying to show yeah definitely and to go right along with their loyalty i mean think about there's a scene in here when you know um, hans actually marries her right and they're having like the wedding reception the ceremony deal where all the um, sideshow people and and everybody's just sitting around the dinner table having what looks like a good time but then we're quickly introduced to the fact the reason she's laughing and having a good time is because she's playing Hans for a fool. And it's so sad because all the other folks there are, you know, they're, they're called freaks. Right. And they know that they're different, but they look at her who, you know, maybe they look at her like, wow, she's perfect or, or whatnot. You know, it's like when you look at one of these characters and you accept them from who they're, who they are, you know, it's, it's the acceptance. Right. But what's crazy is it's the freaks in this movie are accepting her because she's not a freak. And there's just something so, like, heartfelt about it, right? And then it's just heartbreaking because she pretty much just, like, throws wine in their faces because she's like, I'll never be like you. You guys are a bunch of fools, you know?
1: Oh yeah, we get that great scene of them sitting at the table and they're like, one of us, one of us. I love that scene, it's great. But um, yeah, kind of it kind of flips that whole, like, accepting somebody different thing on its head because they didn't really need her approval or her acceptance, like they were offering their acceptance to her, and she rejected it because of who they were. But they were they were much better people than she was. They were they had their their community, they had their friendships and relationships and all that. And you know, this is their world. They like they weren't asking for. I mean, I, I know they. I'm sure they all wanted to be accepted by other people, but they were per. They were they were their own people. Like they, you, they didn't really ask for sympathy it showed a lot of like good qualities and kind of noble qualities with them and just like kind of being sure of who you are even though you're well aware well most of them are well aware of the fact that they're different i mean i don't i think the pinheads aren't really super aware because they have a lot of developmental um, issues but you see the guy the human worm who lights his own cigarette without arms and legs which is just the coolest scene in any film it's like they just lived their lives. They they didn't they weren't looking for your pity or anything. It's just like yeah, that's who they are.
0: Yeah, and there's some interesting people in this movie. You mentioned that guy there, the worm guy, right? And then you had like Johnny Ick, who was like the half boy. Uh, yeah. You know? And then you had um the living torso. Um, you had the bearded lady who um was in love with the human skeleton you know the guy that was like just ultra ultra bony and then they had a kid together so you had all these like side stories within the big plot um you know you had the conjoined twins you know and, and that whole thing and it's just it's it's amazing that this movie is barely over an hour and there's so much going on
1: oh yeah it just kind of gives you a glimpse into just a world that most people kind of overlook i mean at the time um i knew freak shows were kind of dying out they weren't as acceptable to kind of like point and laugh at which is a good thing but it was a world that I don't think most people really thought of like after the performances I think most people went home and didn't think about any of them again but this kind of just showed it and I thought it was it was real nice it wasn't trying to make you feel bad for them it was just trying to like make them human it was telling a it was telling a story that really isn't that Unique, a woman marrying a man for his money and plans to kill him. Like, it's not that unique of a story, but the fact that Todd Browning placed it in this this traveling circus and made his characters um, sideshow performers, it just added that element of, like, not only was it unusual, but it also very much depended and was dictated by the inherent complexities and peculiarities of... A setting like that and characters like that I think it just added a lot of depth to it and made it very unique
0: Yeah, and speaking of so we didn't really get into it, but her point or her plan is to poison Hans so that way he dies and initially, yeah, Hans gets poisoned, but then he catches on to what's going on, so he doesn't take future doses of the poison. He just pretends to, and that's when he, you know, coincides with the sideshow. His his family basically, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to take this no more. She's got to go. Um, and one thing I found amazing about it is the love story in here is between Hans and his fiance before he gets married like the, the girl though is like i don't know how long if they mentioned how long they've been together but basically you know hans he plays a midget that's his thing right and there is another uh, there's a female who's also a midget and they're just in cahoots together and uh it's beautiful i mean you just you, she loves him to death and you know he loves her but he just he feels like there's this other angel in front of him you know um but man, the fact that they, in real life, were brother and sister is mind-blown.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that was uh, a little odd, but it worked really well. Um, Harry Earls, the guy who played Hans, he's been in um, at least one other Todd Browning film. I know he was in uh, The Unholy Three, and he, he did a really good job in that one, too. And, um, yeah, it was definitely interesting, because you could tell Hans was kind of insecure about his state, of, um, state in the world, like being... Uh, midget and all that like he was really the only that kind of showcased insecurity about being a sideshow performer and through how everyone kind of comes together for him you see that he kind of learns to accept that and that he is despite being a a sideshow performer he is he's pretty fortunate to have like all those people in his life and It was kind of nice to seeing his character development, his kind of understanding, because it kind of reflects the audience in a lot of ways. It reflects that, like, we're seeing a group and kind of learning to accept them. And, and let's be honest, it's kind of hard to watch this film and then feel bad about, like, you know, oh, man, you know, I I look like crap today. It's like, oh, well, you know, at least you have both your arms and legs, like, you know, here's this guy, like, living his life, you know, rolling cigarettes and stuff like that, like are you really gonna gonna complain like he's still a really cool character and so are all these guys and yeah that's the one thing about this movie you can't watch it without kind of feeling bad about all the times you complain about like stupid stuff
0: yeah and with that uh something you said you know with hans being insecure and then everybody else just i mean you have a few here and there but for the most part everybody else just used it as a strength You know they were they were who they were and they rolled with it and it didn't matter you know what i mean they were a family and because that that loyalty like you said was there the the things that united them as a family in the end is what what really um made them succeed you know
1: oh yeah it kind of they were all complete people they knew where they were like who they were and they weren't ashamed of it and i think at the end it kind of like helped hans kind of come to terms with who he was and it really isn't anything to be ashamed i mean it's not his fault and he's he's still live a good life
0: yeah and you know we talked about how it you know it's not really a horror movie but man like when you get down to the last what maybe 20 minutes or so that's when things take a turn whenever they seek their revenge you know it starts pouring down raining and then you see all the freaks just like crawling and walking towards you that's when things get a little scary
1: Oh yeah, especially like once again I know you keep pointing to him, but the um human worm, the guy without the um arms and legs, he's got a he's got this uh, knife in his um mouth. I think he was crawling under the train through the mud. It, that was scary. Like I would not mess with that guy.
0: Yeah, and um you know, they, they kinda sugarcoated the end of it because they I think I don't remember if it was MGM Studio or if it was just someone else, but Um, somebody was like, we can't end like this. We need to throw something else, something to make you smile at the end of this movie. And so they did the whole scene where Hans, it's like, this is all past now and he's in his mansion. You know, he's got his inheritance and everything.
1: He's fixed his relationship with his first fiance and yeah, from what I remember they originally, one of the reasons they added that scene was because Han, when he kind of discovered that he was being poisoned, they realized at the end that he kind of came off as being really vindictive. It adds that when he was um, approaching her, he wanted her to confess and, like, apologize. He wasn't actually looking for what ended up happening, and it kind of, um, I think it kind of worked. I mean, I wouldn't have blamed him. I I kind of thought it was cooler, like, with him. uh, Just like, oh, you're going to try to kill me? Well, no, you're human chicken, so...
0: Mm -hmm. which man you keep saying chicken was it chicken or was it duck
1: chicken or a duck i can't remember i think you're right it was a duck i don't know why i keep saying chicken (laughs) either
0: way you can eat it at a french restaurant pretty much
1: (laughs) what a bizarre ending though
0: like oh yeah for sure what a todd browning ending
1: oh yeah it's like it's a nice ending but it's slightly off where it's like okay things (laughs) still aren't aren't quite normal but you know for the most part it ended
0: happily (laughs) for a movie about a sideshow, this is an acceptable ending. Oh, yeah. But I have to ask you, because we do this in every episode, does Paul nitpick this movie?
1: Uh, let's see. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this since I watched it again, and I can't really think of too much to nitpick. I mean, I did think that the last, the ending of it was so was so epic that I kind of wish other parts of it were like that, but... I think the movie overall, by not doing that, told a better story. So I can't even really nitpick that. Overall, I can't really find much to
0: complain about. And that's okay. I mean, it's a slow build with a big end. I mean, you can't, you know.
1: I will say that, like, there are parts where, like, I was I was pissed at Hans through good parts (laughs) of it because. I I empathized with him I really did like him feeling like well a freak for most of his life and like he gets this validation that he never thought he'd get but man you see like his first fiance and she's just so nice and so caring and loves him so much that you just want to smack him in the face be like listen dude you're making her cry like get your shit together man.
0: It was just a prime example of you know him thinking the grass is greener on the other side.
1: Yeah, which which I totally get, and I like I think it worked well, but I just I felt bad for her. Um, I think um her name in real life is a uh, Daisy Earls. Um, Harry Earls is a sister, like you said. I thought she did a great job. Like you just she looks so childlike, even though you know she's not. And like when she's talking and like trying to get Hans to come to his senses, like you just you really feel for her and. It made me dislike Hans a bit. I'm I'm not going to lie. I can empathize. I can understand. Oh, yeah. I I, I was cool with him for a good portion of the film.
0: (laughs) That's okay. You know, he came to his senses finally, so.
1: Oh, yeah. So, if you had to rate rate this film, what would you give it?
0: I'm going to go 8.5.
1: I give this a 9, so pretty close.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad.
1: Since this is the end of Todd Browning month, um, we get to pick out our top five favorite Todd Browning films. So our top five, we each have a list. Dave, you can go first, and then I'll give my list. Um, Once again, these aren't films necessarily that we've read this month, but films by Todd Browning that we've watched relatively recently and that we think rank above his other films. What do you have for your list?
0: Okay. So I'm a big Todd Browning fan. This was really hard to do. I had to get really specific in my reasoning. So here we go. Number five, The Devil Doll. I thought it was visually awesome and very charming. Number four, Outside the Law, a movie we did not get to discuss. I love it because my favorite actor, Lon Chaney's in it. He plays two roles. He gets to play a ruthless thug and a Chinese servant. Um, But the movie features everything from greed, theft, passion, and revenge. Not to mention, you see a side of Lon Chaney that just makes you want to cry. Number three, Freaks. No other movie shows the carny life better than this. A must-see because it's a controversial film and it's very underappreciated. Number two, The Unknown. Just barely beating Freaks because Lon Chaney is an armless knife thrower. It's mesmerizing to watch his character go from hero to villain and just wonder the whole time, you know, is it a motive out of his own heart? You know, can you really be that bad when you kill out of love? Yes, you can. (laughs) And my number one Todd Browning film, a movie we did not get to talk about, The Blackbird. I love The Blackbird. It is like a point. Five for me, it's such a good movie. There's so much morals in it. But basically, another movie where Lon Chaney plays a double life. He plays um, like an underworld underground criminal. And then he disguises himself as the criminal's brother, who is a crippled priest. And, you know, we, we talk about Lon Chaney and how he's able to... Like, do things to his body to to make himself look like he has, you know, a a disformability or something of that nature. And uh, he does it again in this, you know, being very mesmerizing um, on his crutches that he is and going up and down the stairs. But like any uh, any Todd Browning, Lon Chaney movie, it's dramatic. He falls in love for a girl and he tries to use both of his identities to impress her because he figures either the bad boy's gonna get her or the good boy's gonna get her and it has a very memorable ending so i'll leave it with that but for number one for me the blackbird
1: nice very good choices Uh, the blackbird is one film i really want to watch i i looked everywhere for that film like around so i can i can watch it but i was unsuccessful in my in my search I'm, i'm gonna just keep looking and once i watch it i may change my list but i had to exclude that one just because i was unable to find it in time so for my list I started with number five was a film that we didn't get to review but I, I really ended up enjoying it it's uh West of Zanzibar where also starring Lon Chaney another silent film where he plays a guy who ends up crippled by a guy who was having an affair with his wife and he comes up with this plan for revenge where he it's real messed up but he like take this woman who he thinks is the guy who crippled him his daughter him and his um his wife's um, illegitimate child and he like gets her involved in like drugs and all this other stuff and then it turns out that's his actually his daughter and he like ends up kind of making amends for it. he ends up saving her life but man just seeing like Lon Chaney play this sadistic like vengeful person and then just his reaction when he's like realizes how badly he screwed up was really something for number four i picked mark of the vampire now i'll admit part of this is because i was imagining this as london after midnight as an actual film but it wasn't quite what i imagine london after midnight would have been based on what i've seen from the um, still frames and oh, man the, you just can't replace the line, Shaney, not even with Bell Lugosi, who is basically playing Dracula again, or playing a guy who's playing Dracula. But it had an interesting twist, and I enjoyed it overall. It's, it was different from what I was expecting. And a lot of people don't really like the twist because it kind of... People argue whether or not that's a horror film, kind of like with Freaks, because it ends up becoming a mystery um, drama. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like the way it went. I thought it was good that they separated it from... just enough from London After Midnight, because without Long Chaney, I don't think that that film should have really been remade completely. For number three, I picked The Unholy Three. This is kind of like a mix between The Unknown and Freaks, because it takes three circus performers. They decide to start a fake pet shop and basically scam people um line cheney plays a ventriloquist um harry earl's isn't it he plays um well a performing uh midget and then there's the strong man, and they all kind of use their skills to basically scam people and it was really entertaining in the way they did it the way they utilized their skills and this is at the end um lon cheney's character um I believe his name is echo and he He's um, watching this guy on trial for a crime that they committed. Well, a murder that the other two committed. And he was kind—he of, was involved with, but didn't really plan it. And just, like, feeling guilty and um, not sure what to do. Because his, his girlfriend's in love with the guy who's being um, put on trial. So he, he eventually comes clean. But his reaction, like, with that moral dilemma was very well performed. And overall, it was a really interesting film. It definitely put a a nice twist on the, um, on the, like, kind of scam sort of thing. For number two, I picked The Unknown. I thought that was such a unique idea, having a guy living a double life as a thief and an arm, a guy, an armless guy in a, um, sideshow. And just the way it was made, um, Lon Chaney is always is an, ama- is an amazing actor. And I I just really liked the way it played out. Like, it was unexpected and really kind of depressing at times. But, you know, it told a a really solid story. And number one, I had to go with, of course, Freaks. I love this film. I think it just shows all these, such a large group of characters. It just makes them all so likable. It shows them as really being human, relatable, and this overall just likable and it comes together so well like where they all show like this loyalty to each other that is just really admirable and you know it was unique it was respectable for the people that they were showing and it's such a shame that at the time it was so frowned upon because it really is a great film and I would recommend it to really anybody who just wants to watch a good film and is a especially if you're a Todd Browning fan
0: two things you know between the combination of your list and my list there's two movies where a man dresses up like a woman
1: that's true yeah (laughs) Uh, we've got the um unholy three and um
0: devil Devil (laughs) and then two you know it it makes you really wonder if freaks had been made today and and yeah I know American Horror Story right but if it had been made today with as much passion as he put into that film, there, I would not be surprised if it was nominated for some sort of artsy award, man.
1: Oh yeah, we would definitely deserve it.
0: It's it's so disappointing that people couldn't handle it back then. But hey, man, it was the '30s. What are you gonna do?
1: Oh yeah. One of the things about Freaks and why I named it I made it number one was I think as far as Todd Browning films go. He tends to take a normal like, kind of cliche plot like you know somebody's got a heist or you know a murder plan. but he places it in an unusual circumstance or provides characters that have unusual abilities. and it just changes the story so much. Like, he definitely went into detail of how would this play out if we changed a few elements of this story and everything. And it's like watching him unfold like, a mystery. Or like he's planning some kind of heist and it's like, okay, if it's me, you know, a guy who doesn't have arms or a ventriloquist or a midget or a strongman doing some kind of heist, like let's say we're robbing a bank, how would this play out? And so you can tell he's like playing it out in his head and it's just, it's really fun to watch. Like he just knew how to make a film that may not have been the most creative idea, even in the 1930s or 1920s. But he just made it, he put such a twist on it that it just felt so original. And I think that's something that was really unique to Todd Browning.
0: Yeah, definitely. And looking at some of them, you know, you can tell that a lot of these stories he had, um, he did the best he could visually. And, and I believe he succeeded. You believe he succeeded. But a lot of them, man, I bet were just awesome novels, you know, and short stories of his own. Like even... London after midnight you know the only reason it didn't make my top five is because I haven't seen the film I've only seen the slideshow
1: yeah it's definitely a shame I And mean, even that one like the way he like kind of played around with uh, vampires having them kind of instrumental in um, solving a mystery like having the whole hypnosis thing I'm like that's that's interesting like you don't really see something quite like that where somebody's using their talents that are normally meant for something else in a unique situation and i i think he pulled that off probably better than most other directors
0: i agree now we've concluded todd browning month and you just talked about how todd browning was able to do things with his characters i think that's a perfect way for you to step into telling our audience who the next director is
1: Ah, yes, the perfect, unintentional segue for our next director, which will be David Cronenberg. For those of you who don't know, David Cronenberg is well known for his usage of body horror in his films, so this will be a very interesting month, to say the
0: least. And, even though he didn't direct this movie, a lot of people don't know he was in Jason X. So, if you don't know who David Cronenberg is, you go watch Jason X again, and the scene where jason breaks bad finally and you know drowning pool let the bodies of the floor starts playing and you see this guy just running away and then he gets impaled that's david cronenberg how ironic the king of body horror got his body tore up
1: seems fitting go jason (laughs) so join us next week as we begin david cronenberg month And what better way to start that month than with a review of the 1986 remake of the film The Fly. If you enjoyed this review, you can check out all our other episodes of Director's Showcase along with all our other shows at our website bmoviebros.com where we post a new show Monday through Saturday. Keep up to date by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com bmoviebros or follow us on Twitter at bmoviebros. You can also follow Dave and all his many projects at Phantom Dark Dave or my personal Twitter at bmoviepaul. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode, and we hope you enjoyed Todd Browning Month. Until next time, have a good night. <laughs> Av sig in,